This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Pansies in the church. We like to talk around here about uh, men being strong, men being leaders, and knowing how to direct their families. And we had the chance today to talk to a new friend named Michael Foster. Um, He's the uh, co-author of a blog called It's Good to Be a Man. And he'll talk to us a little bit about the history leading to the emasculation of men in the church as family leaders, and why guys like uh, Jordan Peterson are outperforming your local pastor when it comes to inspiring men. Uh, I'm sitting here with uh, Mark. Mark, what did you what did you think of our conversation with Michael? So Michael's a guy that's pretty easy to like for those of us who are pro family leader dudes. Yes, and it was I didn't know who he was until a few days before when you said, "Hey." This Look guy this that's guy. really uh, built an audience up on Twitter and on his blog is looking for opportunities to appear on podcasts. And we didn't honestly even know if he'd find our humble podcast <laughs> worthy. Wor- worth his time. <laughs> Talking to him was kind of, a, I was fist pumping the whole way through. And it wasn't only the the theological weight he brought to some of the things he's been thinking about. It was also the personal story. So... He told us, you know, how when they were looking to start a family, he had always thought, I'm going to be a supportive husband. Right. What that looks like to me is telling my wife, well, yeah, you you are interested in being a nurse. You go be a nurse and we can wait to start a family. That's no problem. Um, So it was really interesting to hear how he said at some point I realized I was really harming her by the way I was failing to lead in both the timing and the, the just generally the leadership piece of, of taking us into beginning a, a family and asking for children. Yeah. Michael's an interesting guy, and we think you guys will enjoy hearing a little bit of this conversation. So we're going to jump right into the conversation as it's already in progress. Here we go. I do think when you interact in the reformed world like I have, uh, you start seeing that uh, that they don't have a real good view of the household. They don't uh, like we do. We do family devotions Monday through Friday, but we also have family meetings once a month, where I basically give like, here's what's going on in the home, open the floor up to the kids, let them ask where they want. So. Galilee was very, very concerned about the proper transportation of her hermit crabs from South Carolina to Cincinnati. So we spent a lot of time answering hermit crab questions. Sort of, say again? I was just laughing. Yeah, so um, also I find that these guys really think poverty is like spiritual, like it's good or something. And I'm like, poverty is neither here nor there. Like, it's if you're poor because of circumstances and faithful and content and serving God, praise the Lord. Uh, but most people in our country are not poor for those reasons. Um, 
and they're poor because they're lazy or they're foolish and they make bad decisions. They don't know scripture, you know, uh, that's not laudable. And so when you're trying to build up wealth and an inheritance for your family and trying to build up a, a family name, you know, your, your family brand or reputation, those things just, they don't, in the world I'm in, that just does not resonate. Totally agree. And it's very frustrating because it actually lines up perfectly with our theology. I mean, and it's because it's because the reformed literature they're reading assumed that sort of world. They assumed that inheritance was good and, and they didn't overly spiritualize the Proverbs and they, they had family crests. They have the family name, you know, keeping it mattered. All that stuff was assumed. So a lot of times it's not, it's not like talked about right? because that's not the battle of the time. It's why you don't get much on sexuality. You get it if you read it and you're looking for it. Yeah. But there's not like tomes on it because uh, it, it wasn't like the battle of the day. And so right now it's like the battle lines, the skirmish lines are, are kind of shifting around and we're having to be more thought, thoughtful with who we align with. And the West is falling because Christianity created created the household, reestablished the household after the Roman Catholics had destroyed it. Um, there's a great book called When Fathers Ruled by Stephen Osment. And so we had a really strong society, but now the household's fallen in disrepair for some of its attack from feminism. Some of it's just we changed real quick due to the Industrial Revolution and we're playing catch up. Um, but until we restore the household, which is the basic building block of everything, um, we're kind of screwed. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot of hope. How did Catholicism destroy the home? Well, <clears throat> so Catholicism had a really low view of sex. Um, and again, this is Stephen Osment shows that the Reformation wasn't just reclaiming uh, sola fide and just, you know, uh, sola scriptura and all that. Well, he shows that it also was reclaiming a biblical view of the family, a biblical view of sex and a biblical view of marriage. So the Roman Catholic church, um, at that stage, right. That the, the, the Catholic church, little C, you know, developed into the Roman Catholic church. Um, but at that stage, uh, put singleness, celibacy, uh, as the highest good uh, or as something that's more normative and better. So it had a very derogatory view uh, towards marriage, uh, at least functionally, even though a lot of these guys, you know, weren't, uh, they were fornicators. And that's part of what scandalized guys like Luther um, and a lot of the other, you know, early reformers. So what the Reformation starts to do is it starts to restore uh, marriage as normative and good, which had fallen into kind of uh, disrepair and and on hard times uh, through that at least that stage of the Roman Catholic Church. But that's the basic thesis. That was totally the culture I was raised in. I grew up a Southern Baptist in Texas, and yet as a keen disciple, what I intuited or gathered over the years is if I was really serious about the Lord, one, I would be single and two, I would be poor. Exactly. And so it took a lot of overcoming that mindset um, to grow into a family leader. And that's wicked because that, that is not the plot line of scripture at all. 
You can't even understand scripture. Scripture stops making sense if that's your undergirding presuppositions. And in that now we have an explosion of singles uh, that that's I mean basically women are outperforming men and uh, and men are low performing right now and that creates a really really uh, dangerous scenario because women do not want to marry down they will not do it they think that men choose women the way that women choose men in other words she thinks that she's whatever that she's a lawyer that that like the guy is like ooh, impressive right right, right? but the guy is more like uh you you've got i like your pretty i like your smile i like your breasts i like your hips I like that you laugh at my jokes. I like that you like me. I mean, that's what a guy's looking for. The guy, uh, and, and the guy's going to be super turned off by the debt because men in general are, uh, are, are debt adverse, or at least they don't want the added responsibility of it. Um, and moreover, they're going to think, okay, is this woman going to be easy to lead? Right. And so there's a, there's a, it hacks. So we got women that are more educated than ever before and heavily laden with debt and we've got men who are taking their masculine drive to make babies and satisfying it with porn and taking their masculine drive to build society and build the world and satisfying it with Fortnite. and so these women are putting off putting off children putting off family and they're getting into their 30s where as their their cycle starts to run down uh, some of the things that are very attractive to a man or woman depreciate and these women start to freak out. And so that's why we're starting to see all these articles where like feminism lied to me. And the church doesn't have a lot of good answers because, because I, I think a lot of the main views of sexuality have a lot of bad assumptions. I think egalitarians say, let's escape the household. I think complementarians say, let's go back to the 40s and the 50s. <laughs> and uh, that, that was good. But I really do think a household in the 40s and 50s actually is, I, I get why women didn't feel used in a good way, like they could use their gifts uh, because it was a really reduced household. And, and I think a lot of the real hardcore patriarchal types, and why I would say at, at one level I am patriarchal, I think they're kind of LARPers where they, they want to go back to like Little House on the Prairie or something. Um, and, you know, they're making their own butter. They're getting some chickens in the backyard. Right. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like there's some value there, but the internet's amazing. Like we can actually have productive households in a way that we, that we couldn't have had in the early nineties or eighties. Now we can, because there's this brand new market and suddenly homes can work together to launch a, a fulfilled by Amazon or eBay business, or you're doing your own Shopify or you're, you're doing a, you know, some sort of uh uh, you create some sort of website that provides uh, online service. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what we can do right now in our culture. So I think we're stationed uh, in a good place to return to a productive household and start to rebuild society. So, I mean, th these are the things that I'm wrestling through and thinking about myself as I just tried to tackle the question, how can I help young guys get married? <laughs> and it opened up a, a can. Yes. So we're, we're all about giving a guy the tools he needs to lead the home. 
Um, but we know we're in a culture that kind of pushes against that and calls it too aggressive. And like you said, patriarchal, what does the Bible kind of at the, at the core say about a man's role inside a family? I mean, you got to go back to Genesis, go back to the beginning. And at, at the beginning of Genesis chapter one, verses like 26 through 28, you get what's sometimes called the cultural mandate. I like to call it the creation mandate. Uh, and there we see that God makes uh, mankind in two varieties, male and female, and he gives them this mission to, uh, to, f- uh, to basically form and fill the world. Right? Before all that, God forms the world, the skies, the ocean, the land, and then he fills it. And so the sexes are given this job of, of subduing and ruling over the world and bringing order to God's creation, to expand God's kingdom from Eden on out. And then to fill it with worshipers, be fruitful and multiply. God wants to make little image bearers that's going to give him glory everywhere. And then in chapter two, that's where we see that God made man first or Adam. And then he gives Adam this work to cultivate and keep the uh, garden, which is actually Levitical language. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of a Adam right there even is a royal priest, which makes sense as we look at the New Testament where now the church is called a royal priesthood. So they, they have these kingly priestly duties, rule the world, bring glory to God. And, uh, and Adam doesn't have a helper. He has no way to actually do this because men aren't, aren't asexual. <laughs> you, so you can't, you can't create people to fill the earth by yourself as a man. And moreover, you can't, uh, you can't really form the earth without having a partner. So when it says it's not good that man's alone, it's quite literal. There's uh, Xenophon who wrote one of the most famous household codes from the Greek for the Greeks or the Romans. I think it's the Romans. He has this line in that where he says, uh, without my wife, I would die. And all the romantics say, oh, but what he means is no, without my wife, I would literally die. <laughs> You're that essential to my household without you. I need you. So Adam needs Eve to do this. She's not his soulmate. She's not, she doesn't complete him as an individual. As a male, Adam's just fine. And women as a female are just fine. They are what they're supposed to be. But if they want to participate in the creation mandate, the form and fill the world in an ultimate sense, they have to come together. So uh, Adam and Eve come together to fulfill this mission. So the mission um, of, of having dominion over the world, ruling over it to bring God glory requires that man take the lead and, and that the woman responds to his leadership, but they, they both are equally needed to do this. So the, the, right from the get go, Right from the get-go, we start with a male leader that's supposed to take initiative. Matter of fact, in the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, God says to Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife, because you weren't the leader you're supposed to be, because you didn't do what you're supposed to do, Adam knew what was up. He understood what God's requirements were. He understood the nature of of the tree uh, in the Garden of Eden. And so this whole idea that, that it's somehow wrong for man to take a leadership, is crazy. Men will always take leadership. Men always rule. There's a great book by Stephen Goldberg. The, the original version was called The Inevitability of Patriarchy, and then he republished it and expanded it called Why Men Rule. And it just goes through why there's no such thing as a matriarchal society. And he's not a Christian. Margaret Mead, of all people, writes an endorsement on the book. Margaret Mead yeah. for, for writing Growing Up in Samoa, 
hardcore feminists completely lied about her research. But even Margaret Mead's like, yeah, this is solid. And it's, and it's the data is that men are always going to lead. And so that means if society is doing poorly, it's because men are doing poorly. If society is doing well, it's because men are doing well. So the question is, are they leading according to God's purpose or according to their flesh? Because men have this natural ability to lead, this natural authority, um, and they can be used to simply benefit themselves or it can be used to God's glory. So when men are taking their masculine abilities and developing godly virtues to build up the world, suddenly we think, hey, men being aggressive and taking leadership is a really, really good thing. And those, that makes a safe home, a safe society where things can be fruitful and women can be women and do what they're, I mean, women are awesome. You know, they make people, it's crazy. They just make terrible men. They're, uh, men are not good women and women are not good men. And so, and that idea offends everybody. But scripture will say, look, women shouldn't wear men's clothing. Men shouldn't wear women's clothing. Well, what's that? Give me a total style guide. I can't give you a style guide. It's kind of like what is and isn't pornography. When they were trying to figure it out at a governmental level, they said, well, I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. And like we... You know, there's there's differences uh, between the sexes that are cross-cultural, clearly part of our creational design. And and I, I admit there's some gray areas, uh, but androgyny destroys everything. And men that are masculine, women that are feminine lead to a, a better world because it's, uh, it's because they're operating according to God's design. It's like you can run a car for a time on pure alcohol, um, but it it's going to be costly. And so it's not surprising to me right now that men are not doing well, but especially women who've been told that they will find their greatest fulfillment fulfillment in being a careerist, that we have exploding rates of prescription drug abuse and exploding rates of of alcoholism among women. And it's not at the same rate among men. I think that women, a society like ours benefits only really scuzzy men it doesn't benefit anyone else and and that's that's the sordid reality of the world that we've made it's really interesting because when you were talking about the instances of women completing college degrees and master's degrees and going out and trying to be you know men in order to attract a mate my story is probably unusual in that I have a wife who I married with an MD and a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. And I was kind of asking myself as you were talking, what, why did this not go sideways? And I think the answer is because from moment one, she was saying, you're the guy now, like, go, go lead us somewhere. I'm not going to do it. And so even though she was out working in a career and high achieving and we were dealing with sort of the impact of her educational needs financially, there was never a, well, because of my achievement, I'm now the leader in this setting. It was always a, I have a role in this family that's entirely rooted in, in what we find in scripture about who I am and who you are as a husband. That's great. Yeah. So you, you got to get the organizing principle down. 
which is namely that the family has a common mission of giving God glory through creating a household. And a household is more than just a home. It's a place of hospitality, a place of raising up disciples in the form of covenant children, your children, of, of bringing people in and showing them the way of life of a Christian. And so when you start to get that organizing principle down, it, it, it will uh, correct things, right? Like I, when I was, uh, before I converted to Christ, uh, I was not a good student. It wasn't because I wasn't smart. I just hated homework. I hated busy work. And I came to know Jesus as Lord, and I recognized that he had put these teachers over me as an authority, and I wanted to be a good witness, so I started to actually take my studies more serious. Well, that's, that's just what God does to us. When we, when we get things aligned correctly, when we start living and fearing God and according to his word, he starts to fix things. And some of us have made some mistakes that we cannot fix in this life. You just can't fix them. And that's why heaven's a wonderful promise, why the gospel's good. This is not about figuring out how to live the perfect life. It's about figuring out, we've made decisions, which ones align with God, and which ones don't, and how can we uh, go the process of sanctification more and more? How can we move the football down the field for the sake of our family intergen intergenerationally? And that's what we have to be willing to do right now. And, um, and so it's, it's a hard thing. But it's, it's a good thing. And our family went awry uh, early in marriage um, just because my wife felt pressure to be a nurse. And I was very unwilling to tell her to have children. I was like, yeah, we could do it whenever you want to do it. Well, do you want to have kids? Oh, yeah, I'd love to have kids. Well, whenever you're ready, though. And what she really needed me to say is like, baby, get off that pill. Let's have fruitful sex. I will take care of you the rest of your life, no matter what. Right. Let's start a family. And when I did that, I remember at first she was terrified of having children. And then we didn't get pregnant the first month because getting pregnant is kind of like blowing up the Death Star, right? It's actually, it's way harder than people realize. Um, and God used that to start to change our life. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I think women want a strong leader. They want to be led. Um, and this idea that, that all women are just these raging feminists. Women want to be what God made them to be. There's struggles because of the curse. It's just like men want to lead, but there's struggles because of the curse. But, but the Holy yeah. Spirit does wonderful things. And it's not as simple as, well, if, if you marry a girl and tell her to stay home with kids, you're doing it right. That ends up being what you described as a let's just go back to the fifties and call it good. I think my story really illustrates the fact that it can be really good regardless of some of the external factors. If you get the, if you get the, the foundation laid properly. Um, so I think it's obvious in light of all of this, that the culture is pushing against this biblical idea of manhood and roles in the family but what I notice, like every day, is that the church is pushing really hard against proper understanding of roles in the family. So what's the church getting wrong, and why don't they like what they're seeing from people like you? Well, there is a growing contingent of people that are seeing this as a problem, 
and they're stepping up. So I think there's reason to be optimistic, but on whole things are, are bad. They're not good at all. And where the feminization or probably more properly the emasculation of the church starts, it's hard to say. Some people track it all the way back to the 12th century with Bernard of Clairvaux's uh, bridal mysticism, where the church as a, uh, Jesus as a lover of the church, everything kind of gets eroticized, you know. We see this in some of our worship songs where we're like, yeah. am I supposed to be making out with Jesus? or yeah. what, what is happening? Um, <laughs> There's a great uh, South Park episode where they start a Christian band. Oh, yeah, that, that's a great, I, I, I know that's a, they, they nailed that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or so I hear, someone told me. Um, anyway, um, but, but you see Cotton Mather in the colonies complaining about the number of men coming to church. So there's been something going on with the church that makes men not feel welcome there. And there's a lot of different aspects to it. I think romanticism, I think, is a big part of it. Uh, the idea that women are more angelic, somehow more holy. And that's because the idea of, of being weak and passive became something that the church wanted to glorify. And underst weak understood in the sense that we have to trust God that we're finite, that's good. But it, it, it suddenly being assertive, taking action, being active, all that sort of stuff was somehow seen as sinful. So men didn't want to be there. And you can, you can see this language um, all throughout, even in aspects of the Reformation. And I, it could be that the Reformation played a part in this, where people misunderstood uh, justification by faith, uh, meaning that you just get saved, you don't have to do anything where they didn't understand that justification leads to sanctification and action. So there's a lot of different things that have added to passivity, but it, it got thrown into like massive overdrive in the last century. Namely, after Kinsey's report in the 40s and 50s led to the sexual revolution in the 60s, and then late 60s, we get the birth control pill and we get no-fault divorce. Uh, no-fault divorce. You know who's behind that? No. Ronald Reagan. So all those conservatives, Republicans out there, he's the one that helped destroy marriage in this family because he well, wanted it's to just marry. like the king, the king of England, saying that uh, you can get married again. It's exactly. So justifying to ruin a nation. So 1969 in the state of California, that's where we where we see that that uh, pop up, and so some of those things uh, just wrecked society, and the church capitulated to it more and more. And here's why: is because they uh, over 60% of the average church uh, attend attendance is women and children, women. And so they, they're trying to placate women. They're trying to make them feel comfortable. If you listen to K-Love, K-Love, uh, their original marketing team came up with this like soccer mom that's like almost 40. And when they thought through the music and their ads and everything, the market to her, which is really smart. Yeah, that's why I hate K-Love. I don't enjoy it at all. I don't like most Christian music, to be honest, um, because it's, it's marketed to some, someone else than me. Well, that's happened in the churches. And, and so some of this is just, I think, marketing, not wanting to upset women, trying to create services and goods uh, that appeal to your consumers. And sadly, the church has taken on a consumer mentality as opposed to a family-centric, disciple-making, you know, mentality. And so all that, men want to be part of something where they're welcome. They want to be somewhere where there's uh, music they can sing to without going falsetto. 
right? I don't mind going falsetto if I'm singing Bohemian Rhapsody every once in a while with some friends at karaoke, but I'm telling you, every Sunday singing falsetto is not easy for me. Right. Give me a deeper voice that I can follow. Uh, give me sermons that uh, preach hard, risky theological truth, but also show me how to live that out of my life. Like, like James, I love the book of James. It's like the Proverbs of the New Testament. Tell me what to do. I love Jesus, saved, now what? And men want that, but you don't find a lot of that sort of preaching uh, in the church. And also ch- pastors love to, to, to rag on men. They get up there, they call this a-mogging. It's the alpha male of the group. And, and Driscoll, who God used in my life, but Driscoll was the worst of this. He'd get up there and just rip men in half. But they would never treat women that way. Never no. talk to women. Because it's, that's their core demographic. That's right. But what does scripture do? Like, what is the, the, chief, the chief metaphor for spiritual um, wickedness in the Old Testament? You ate the fruit. It's a whoredom. It's women being, uh, it's adultery, but not just adultery with men, but adultery with women. And so scripture, scripture goes, goes after men and women alike, right? They have different, we have, we're all sinners. Our sins tend to express themselves a little bit, little bit differently. That's why when we look at what uh, Paul's going to warn women about, men don't tend to be as vain as women because our value is tied up with performance. Whereas a woman's value is tied up much more with their beauty and attitude. Um, and so uh, he's going to say, hey, don't, don't dress like all vain to women. And that's why it's especially effeminate when you got a guy that's gone overboard in how he dresses and how we as men can't help but tease him a little bit. Um, and so this is the church and churches don't want to talk about this stuff because it's going to offend everybody. Every time I come on a podcast or I speak on this, I'm like, man trying to mainstream this message but due to the overton window i don't know that i can't but i'm trying because yeah. uh, I, I don't want to offend people i'm very sympathetic to all of uh, everyone out there who finds himself in a less than biblical household of marriage and they're trying to change it uh, i'm with i'm with you guys <laughs> I'm with yeah so let's let's talk about the 25 year old guy who is most of his communication channels are through um, the world system that wants to tamp him down. He goes to church. He thinks this is, I'm trying to get a read on what God wants, but I realize that this, well, he doesn't realize it, but that thing has been constructed for um, middle-aged women. And he's starting to get his, uh, excited at the prospect of wait God wants me to be a leader he, he wants me to be a man of action he wants me to start creating and ruling some domain so what are your what are some easy handholds for this guy to get moving in that direction well isn't it fascinating that Jordan Peterson became a rock star in part for telling men to clean up their room yeah <laughs> But it's like guys are like, tell me what to do. And then suddenly he's saying, basically, subdue and organize and rule the area in your immediate vicinity. Yes. And and then it's momentum. Self-discipline's weird. So if you try to bench press 300 pounds or and run every day right from the get-go, you're gonna fail because your self-discipline's weak. What you have to do is start incremental and build strength. And then self-discipline uh, snowballs. And the same way with saving. 
Uh, same way with any uh, habit building. So what these guys have to do is first rule themselves. How in the world can you lead a woman if you can't lead yourself? How can you lead a household if you can't lead a woman? How can you be a governor in society or a leader in the church if you can't lead your household? I mean, so it's, it's a causal change. I don't know the answer to that. You'll have to ask Bill Clinton. We're in yeah. Arkansas, so. Well, I mean, you just kill people that disagree with you and buy them off. <laughs> um, but so I hear. Anyhow, uh, so it starts with ruling yourself. So uh, let's, uh, some of the big things is uh, build your spiritual discipline, pray, read the word, uh, take care of your body. Uh, you know, what does it say? Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, that, uh, that you make your work harder for you if your ax is dull. So keep your ax sharp. So if, if, it, if you have to keep your ax sharp, you got to keep the thing that swings the ax in shape too. So uh, I don't care if you run. I don't care if you do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, whatever. It's like dominate your body so you can say no. You have to be able to control yourself. Like you, these God-given desires uh, these things that can become lust, uh, they're from God. Lust is the twisted version, right? When a, um, a good thing becomes the ultimate thing, that's when it becomes the idol. And when lust is merely about sex, feeling the orgasm as opposed to producing. So the purpose of sex is production. I don't just mean the production of people. That's reproduction. But the produ production of fruit, of creating a household. Sex is like covenant renewal. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're rehearsing, remembering, and looking forward to his coming back and taking him. When we have sex, we're rehearsing our covenant vows and building a family. And so sex is to produce. When it gets removed from that, then it becomes a lust. So a guy has to learn how to control himself. And so start on those things. Start on keeping yourself physically uh, in good shape. What is your mission? What are your gifts? How can you bring glory to God through your vocation? This is another problem with the church is that we don't have a good doctrine of vocation. And we have to help people see that there is no true secular and sacred uh, division, that all things are to be done to God's glory. So uh, the church has to train young men. This used to happen by their fathers, but yeah. suddenly anyone can be anything. It used to be like, I'm a blacksmith son. Here's the blacksmith tools. Welcome to being a blacksmith, <laughs> you know, uh, but guys need more guidance. So these are guys chase excellence. Don't chase women. Get down your vocation, control yourself, build, save, gain status at your job, gain status at your church, have holy ambitions. That's what I would tell them. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to look back at those days when vocation was passed down and we can't conceive of this with modern American eyes, but <clears throat> there was nobody going, um, I'm a blacksmith. I was born to run dad's shop. My son will run this shop. And gosh, if I could only be a herdsman, you just don't see that because they find satisfaction in that identity and realizing we have a crucial place in society and people need us. And there's something really valuable about that. And we're esteemed at the church and et cetera, et cetera. We have this place of nobility. Um, and, and it's not because we, we get to dream everything up from ground zero. That seems to be one of the traps of modern America is that we want to dream everything up from zero as opposed to receiving something handed to us. I was even thinking as you were talking, 
um, that just the masculine and feminine roles, these are the kind of things that when you see that we praise God for his ways, this is one of God's ways that we would worship and praise him for. Thank you, God, that in your wisdom, you gave an identity to men and an identity to women that's completely compatible, that works perfectly together. How wonderful are your ways, Lord? Instead, because we want to be the gods of everything around us, we want to dream everything up from ground zero, which is a trap. Yeah, I mean, there's a famous line from Chariots of Fire about the the story about Eric Lidl, or Lytle? Lytle, um, the runner. Uh, Little can't think of his name, but you probably know this. He says uh, that when he runs, he feels God's pleasure. Jenny, when I run, <laughs> he says, Jenny, God made me fast. <laughs> when I run, I can feel his pleasure. <laughs> That's right. Men cannot, no matter how much Adderall you stick them on, no matter how much you brainwash them in government schools, at the end of the day, they're going to say, you know what? I'm not a defective woman. I'm a man. And when I try to be a woman, things don't work out right. And so I think we have the church, men, young men in the church and society are waking up right now and saying, how do I become a man? And they're turning to people like Peter, uh, Jordan Peterson to uh, Jack Donovan uh, to guys like Rilla Tomasi, uh, the, these, you know, some lesser known guys. They're going to YouTube uh, and type in how to be a man. You got these huge channels like Charis, uh, Charis, uh, Charisma on command you know, how to shake hands and uh, lead a room. They're learning that from YouTube because YouTube taught them how to do a, a half Windsor knot for their tie and change their oil. Right, right. And so there's like, give me a father. Jordan Peterson's the father they don't have. He's Absalom. Absalom went to the gates of Israel and he told the, the, the people of Israel, look, I, I, I'm for you. I'll judge in your favor. Follow me. And then scripture says he stole away their hearts. And that's yeah. happening because the church is not speaking to this issue. And there's a harvest. There's a harvest. You get the men, you get the women and children, the church will be stable and we'll see society revive. Well, Michael, um, thanks for talking to us for a while. Can you just give us a quick blip on where people who are listening to our podcast can go listen to more of what you're creating? Sure. Me and my co-producer, Non Tenet. Non is a Kiwi. He's from New Zealand. And he and I started working on this project last year. And now it's taken the form of a website. It's goodtobeaman.com. It's also a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Again, it's good to be a man. Uh, and we, I'm active on Twitter at This Is Foster. You can find me there. Feel free to direct message me. And, uh, and we're hoping to turn our content into some booklets and if we can create something compelling enough and helpful enough, uh, perhaps a book. Now you said non was a Kiwi, but I thought non was a Brit. <laughs> well, he, he's, uh, he's actually from South Africa, but he's been in New Zealand for a long time and that's why his accents. So how interesting, how'd you find him? Oh, we've just been in the same dark corners of the internet and arguing about biblical theology and different things. And then when I got into this side of sexuality, there, was, there wasn't a lot of Christians talking about it. And uh, there weren't a lot of Christians looking into, like, how do you arouse a wife? <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, and that's not something you want to talk about openly. Uh, 
at least I didn't want to. Well, I wrote a, a little article called um, Hypergamy and the Singleness Dilemma. And, and it turned out that he had been thinking about the same things. And so I was like, look, two are better than one. Cool. And we started working together and, and God, God seems to be blessing it. We're very different guys with very similar goals.